Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. My favorite cartoon by the New Yorker's David Cypress shows two people walking down the street in conversation and one is saying to the other, my desire to be well-informed is currently at odds with my desire to remain sane. I invite you now to arrive fully in this news cycle free hour, a time of rest and restoration, a time to take a breath and breathe deeply, breathe into your heart and come home to yourself and to this beloved spiritual community. Like so many of you, my summer held suffering, loss, and grief, as well as empathy, compassion, and great love. At 88, my mother survived a stroke and had to be moved from her home of 58 years. Isolated in quarantine, she is drifting away now from all that she knew and loved. And one of our closest friends, a big, loud, boisterous, hilarious presence, complained of what he thought was a broken rib that wouldn't heal, had an x-ray that revealed a tumor in his lung, had a PET scan that lit up like a Christmas tree with lung cancer metastasized to every part of his body, contracted pneumonia, and died, all in a grueling Gruesome seven weeks. Our broken hearts are a perfect mirror of a broken-hearted world. There is no loneliness in this devastation. In the midst of it all, there were also astonishing moments of beauty and courage and grace. Many of us shared this one after our weekly tea party one afternoon, one Wednesday afternoon. Our own Dave McLean experienced a seizure. One week later, he Zoomed to tea, having been diagnosed with a small brain tumor. And the next week, Dave appeared for tea again from his hospital bed in intensive care following successful brain surgery 24 hours earlier. Dave has set a new bar in not missing the opportunity to grow his soul, showing up, lifting our spirits, and amazing us with his resilience. When the pandemic first hit and we all began to shelter in place, I remember taking a break and wandering out into our yard with a rake in my hands, feeling utterly bereft. Roger Hooper had just been diagnosed with COVID-19 Ultimately, thankfully, his life was spared. And it felt like the beginning of the AIDS plague all over again. My mind went white 
trying not to imagine losing even one of you, let alone dozens. I stood at the edge of the winter-ruined garden, really taking in what a total mess it was, and I felt pretty overwhelmed, which of course wasn't really about the garden. <laughs> but then I thought, I don't have to clear it all. I don't have to feel it all. I just have to rake one square foot. I just have to feel one feeling at a time. Let's start here. Let's start with sadness. And I worked on one square foot, one tiny corner of my fear and grief. And the sadness lifted a little and raking away the wreckage of fallen branches and rotting leaves, I saw small green shoots appearing from the brown earth. This is how it's done now, a lesson we learned so long ago from our Haitian siblings as they recovered from the terrible earthquake in 2010. Do you remember? They taught us piti piti narive, Piti piti narive, little by little, we will arrive. I love this vignette from Margaret Trost's book, On That Day Everybody Ate. She writes, deforestation has turned much of Haiti into near desert. In the countryside, it's hard to find water. The rainy season is unpredictable, and some of the few sources dry up. In the city, no one in the neighborhood has running water. Father Jerry told me the water pipes had broken five years earlier and the city couldn't afford to fix them. Women and children spend their days walking back and forth on rugged roads to get water from a pump. Most of the disasters that kill Haitian children come from drinking contaminated water, water flowing through rusty pipes and dirty faucets, water carried home in old paint cans or oil containers. Clean water is precious beyond measure. One day, thick black clouds moved in over the mountains. We grabbed each other's hands and dashed for the church, writes Margaret Trost, while vendors rushed to cover their fruit stands. Kids playing soccer with a crushed soda can stopped and took cover. Within seconds, the fierce storm turned the road into a river. And then a young boy, about 13, walked casually across the churchyard, undisturbed by the wind and rain. He was carrying a bar of soap in his hand. I watched him stop at the corner of the church and position himself directly under a stream that poured off the pitched roof, rushing down at the perfect angle for an outdoor shower. There, in the middle of the afternoon, in the midst of thunder and lightning, he stood in his shorts, soaped up, washed, rinsed off, and headed home. Little by little, we will arrive. The late Catholic priest and human rights activist Père Gérard Jean Juste said, in Haiti, sometimes there are very, very, very small steps. Sometimes we go backwards. He laughed one of his great belly laughs. But it's important to keep taking steps, even though they are small. Never lose hope. Never give up. One day, 
maybe not during my lifetime, but one day we will get there. Piti piti narive. 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 The Buddha taught that suffering is the beginning of the spiritual path. And he didn't just make that up. Do you know the teaching of the four sites? In northern India in the year 623 BCE, Siddhartha Gautama was born a prince. His father, King Sudonana, called upon eight wise men to predict his son's future. Seven of them declared he would either be an enlightened holy man or a great king. The eighth said he would renounce the world and become a Buddha. Sudarana was determined that his son should become king and so confined him to the palace, sheltering him from suffering and surrounding him with all manner of luxury and pleasure. It is said that Prince Siddhartha never saw so much as a wilted flower. But at the age of 29, the prince got curious, curious about what was beyond the wall, and he snuck out, accompanied by his servant, Chana. On his journey, he saw an old man, and when he asked Chana what had happened to the man, Chana replied that aging was something that would happen to everyone. Next, the prince saw someone who was sick and suffering. Chana explained that we are all subject to illness. And then the prince saw a funeral processional. Chana explained that death is inevitable. Having seen the loss of all things we hold dear, and that aging, sickness, and death come to every human being, Siddhartha was deeply troubled. And then the prince saw the fourth sight, an ascetic, a monk, devoted to seeing clearly into the cause of suffering and to seeking an end to suffering. Siddhartha resolved to follow him. He renounced his royal title and left the palace to search for the end of human suffering, the search for freedom. What he learned in the ensuing years is that freedom comes from practicing a life of inner and outer balance. He called this discovery the middle path. And then Siddhartha seated himself under a great banyan tree and vowed to find liberation in the face of the forces that bring suffering to humankind. He felt himself assailed by those forces, by fear, attachment, greed, hatred, delusion, temptation, and doubt. But he continued to sit with his heart open and his mind clear and he could see to the depths of human consciousness until he discovered a place of peace at the center of them all. This was his enlightenment, the freeing of his heart and mind from entanglement in all the conditions of the world. From Buddha's enlightenment, two great powers were awakened in him, transcendent wisdom and universal compassion. For the next 45 years, he brought the teachings of wisdom and compassion and an invitation to follow this path of enlightenment to all who would listen. The invitation to discover the freedom and great heart of compassion that is possible 
for every human being. Which is a long way of telling you that we are neither the first nor the last to feel the way that we feel now. That suffering is the beginning of the spiritual path and that there is something precious we can do. In fact, there is much we can do to alleviate suffering. Today, you've already done it. You showed up here bearing faith in the healing power of beloved community, lifting up each and every one of us with your beautiful, shining presence. Thank you. And you know what else you can do. Be well. Stay safe. Reach out to one another, check in, connect, take action. If you can give, do that. It will uplift the receiver as well as you. If you can receive, do that. It will uplift the giver as well as you. Cam, Reverend Beth, and I joined our mutual aid society on the Cape. Three mornings a week, we deliver meals to shut-ins and people in need, ring and run. I can tell you that when my heart was heaviest this summer, when my beloved sister's eyes filled with tears as we moved our mother for the fourth time, when hospice arrived and there was nothing more anyone could do for our friend, I drove up to Judy's house, the fourth stop on my route. She came to the gate to visit the first human being she'd seen in three days, she said, the first person to speak her name. And she told me she was grateful. She told me she was grateful. And I carried those three words like a talisman carried it through that hard day and many others. I am grateful. I am grateful. Some of you perhaps are wondering about faith in these times. I never doubt for even one moment the place of spiritual community, the saving grace of this beloved community but I am always wondering about the mystery of faith. My friend and colleague, Reverend Dr. Rebecca Ann Parker, wrote this affirmation. I think of it as a prayer, which surfaced in my mind one morning, unbidden. I don't think I'd heard it more than once, but there it was, fully formed. She said, there is a love holding us. There is a love holding all that we love. There is a love holding all. We rest in this love. I experience this as true. I experience it right here with you, and I pray that you do too. I offer it to you, and I commend you to it. There is a love holding us. There is a love holding all that we love. 
there is a love holding all. We rest in this love. And when there is nothing left to do, we can pray, say it with me, there is a love holding us. There is a love holding all that we love. There is a love holding all. We rest in this love. Beloved spiritual companions, when our desire to remain sane is at odds with our desire to be well-informed, let us come home to ourselves and to this beloved spiritual community. In these times of suffering, loss, and grief, may we cultivate empathy and great love. May we stand in the midst of thunder and lightning, wash, rinse off, and head for home. Little by little, we will arrive. Let us answer the invitation to discover freedom and the great heart of compassion. May we be grateful. There is a love holding us. There is a love holding all that we love. There is a love holding all. May we rest in this love. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.